This episode of Las Blancas podcast is brought to you by The Guild, who offer luxury apartments all over the United States, and they are proud sponsors of the Managing Madrid podcast world tour. They have locations in Dallas, Miami, Cincinnati, Denver, and San Antonio. Guests enjoy access to best in-class building amenities like rooftop terraces, outdoor pools, state-of-the-art gyms, and even private members clubs. They also offer on-demand grocery stocking, cleaning services, and extra supplies that can all be ordered from the touch of your phone or through their app. Go to theguild.co. That's the guild, G-U-I-L-D.co, and book your stay with them. Uh, also very helpful for any Managing Madrid podcast you attend in person. You uh, definitely won't be disappointed if you book your stay with them. Also, before I send you off to Las Blancas podcast as they break down tonight's post game show, just wanted to bring to your attention that we are absolutely running rampant with content. And tonight, you'll actually go over to patreon.com slash managing and you will find that Matt Wiltsey and I have put out a Lone Tracker podcast where we discuss Kubo's transcendent performance against Valencia. We discuss other things like Brahim in the last couple of games, Odria Zola's last game, Chust. Uh, who am I forgetting, Mayoral, and a ton more. We even had an entire Mbappe segment and talking about his reported offer today, which was basically an infinite amount of money. We discussed that and everything you need to know about that. So go over to patreon.com slash managingmadrid and you'll find it there. And By the way, we've added a couple cities to the Managing Madrid podcast world tour. We are going back to Toronto for an end-of-season review in May, and we're also going to Madrid for the Classico. We will announce more details on that soon, so you can book your uh, spot to those if you're going to be in those cities. But also, Chicago and D.C. and Mumbai, those three in particular, if you want to get your spot booked into those places, just go to the show notes right now, uh, really as soon as possible, and your spot there because they're starting to fill up now and uh, Chicago that was lagging behind a little bit now is picking up steam and uh, we want to make sure you guys get in at a general admission price because Chicago goes up at the end of the month so make sure to book soon and we look forward to seeing you guys in DC and enough blabbering from me let's get to Las Blancas and enjoy the show nice article in the managing Madrid uh, blog Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Hello and welcome to Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Arvin, and as always, I'm joined by Grant Little. It's been a long time since we recorded last, I think. I mean, I don't know what time means anymore. It feels like it goes so fast and it doesn't move at all, but here we are to talk about, of course, Real Madrid Femenino's 3-0 victory over Alama in the Copa de la Reina. This was our return to action after the international break and it was kind of a typical post-international break game, wasn't it, Grant? Yeah, man. This one was this was ugly, not only in terms of the production that was going on, but also the play on the pitch. It was, you know, we talked a million times about how we never return from international break very strongly. But, you know, luckily we were playing an opponent that, although they played well, were just never going to 
match up individually with us as as they would hope because this was a second division side we were first division side obviously and we were just gonna be able to have that edge in individual quality which we needed because at times alama looked better than us throughout this game alama played really well it was really a typical you go away to this tiny minnow that no one has ever heard it's like the entire town is there and yet it's only a hundred people surrounding uh, what looks like a very tiny pitch everyone on bleachers the, the pitch itself is artificial grass it's not a great pitch and they just defend like their lives are on the line like this is their last stand and we come in maybe a little cocky not wanting to like come on like it's the Copa de la Reina round of 16 versus this opponent we don't have to give everything and things don't quite go to plan. Like, I feel like we've said this so often when talking about Real Madrid generally, obviously the women's section has only played one Copa de la Reina match beforehand, and that was uh, versus Madrid CFF. We had that, like, fluked extra time cross that ended up in the back of the net in, like, the 118th minute or whatever. Yeah, it was that. That was a whole other thing, right? So, but when I speaking about Real Madrid generally, it's not like the domestic cup competition has has been where we've come out and put out our up our proudest performances, right? And I guess that's just a Real Madrid DNA thing of late. And this was kind of in the mold of that. Again, coming in after an international break, Grant has talked about it more than me, even how we can kind of look sluggish coming into it. Mix that in with some rotations and problems we have, you know, controlling the ball or controlling the game to the extent we want to on pitches like these. The lineup, what did you think of it? So obviously we, the, the two players that were missing were Kasi and Aslani. Cora there obviously is not included because she's on maternity leave. But other than that, it's a full-strength squad. We have Meline Gerard in goal, uh, back four of Lucia, Bobs, Claudia Florentino, Sophie Sveva, and then a midfield of Tere Zornoza, Maite, with Maite playing as a number 10, so it's a 4-2-3-1. And then... Lorena on the right, Muller on the left, Naikari up top. Did you want more rotations? Did you want more youth players in the squad? The only youth player that was called up was Sara Martin, who did end up making her debut towards the end of the match. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that quickly in, in a certain section in this podcast, but she was the only one. Otherwise, it was our regular squad. There was no one that came in to replace Kasi, who was not included. Toril just kind of rotated within that. So were you fine with that? Did you want to see... Someone else play either from the academy or from the first team? Not necessarily. I thought we were going to get a, a rotated 11. I was a little surprised to see um, Maite, Tere, and Zornosa all starting. I thought maybe we'd rotate a little with those three. But, I mean, without Kasi, we, we struggle a little bit unless you're going to to the depth of maybe the reserve team. Other than that, I think... The rotations were pretty solid. Obviously, getting Ivana some rest is nice. Having Lucia come in is nice. Um, I wasn't too bugged by anything. I was a little surprised that we didn't see Ariana Arias. I feel like we saw a lot of her last season when Osnar was the coach calling her out for cup games. And then we didn't see that so much even this year with Osnar. And then even in this cup game, we haven't seen Toriel call her up and I know we have more depth this year 
and a lot of high quality depth, but you kind of expect in these games to see more players like Ariana Arias and Sada and some of these other players get at least a cameo, right? Especially when you're playing a team that's from the second division. Yeah, I was a bit surprised to not see more people from the B team. Adi just not being in the squad anymore is kind of surprising. Mainly because she featured so much last season. So, yeah, that was one. But the, the bigger thing for me is, like, if Kasi's out, you're just going with these three midfielders. You're not calling anyone up. That was a little surprising to me. I'm not saying I necessarily expect them to start, but I don't know what's the harm in necessarily having them there. But this is what Toriel went with. He went with that midfield. And when you see, I guess, uh, uh, when you're going to, like, deny, I guess, the youth players to play, I, I, I suppose you want to put in a little more convincing performance than we saw. But I think you could argue the midfield was probably the best part of our, for, of our, of our performance or the first half performance, at least. Going into kickoff, players hold up the banner saying no to war. I think everyone is aware about Russia's invasion of Ukraine and how the world has reacted to that, specifically in Europe and all the ramifications that are going on with that, specifically with pressure on FIFA to ban Russia from international competition and all of that. And so it was no surprise to see that banner out. Things kick off, and I think it's pretty obvious early on what this type of match is going to be like, right? Alama, pretty typical compact mid-block, looking to mark the midfield options as much as possible. And then when you see them specifically press on goal kicks, you're like, okay, right, it's going to be that type of game. Yeah, 100%. It felt like for the first 15, 20 minutes, we couldn't even keep the ball on the ground for large stretches. It was a lot of dual base, 50-50s, bouncing balls, unable to really establish any dominant possession because of their high energy and their disruptive nature. I think dual focus is a good way to put it. And to some extent, right, that is going to be the case when you go away from home to a place like this, when they have that energy and intensity and the pitch isn't necessarily amazing. But I thought we played into it a little too much, and I'd be interested to know what you think about it because there was so much dribbling happening all over the pitch, starting from Claudia who we know has strengths carrying the ball to break the first line of pressure and make plays, but it just was not happening for her. Like multiple, multiple dispossessions throughout the night when she tried to make these carrying actions, probably not helped by the fact that she's playing on the left and being a right-footed player, Alama were kind of able to usher her to the touchline, make her body orientation a bit more awkward, and it led to giveaways. And that definitely hurt our ability to control the ball. But also, as we moved up the pitch, a lot of it was go out wide and just attack the fullback off the dribble. Like, Muller was playing on the left, had a lot of those chances in the first half, and really didn't make any of them pay. And I think the, the latter, the, the winger is taking the flag off the dribble. You'd think, right, that's kind of what you want to do, what you kind of want to go for. It's not the worst thing in the world, right? especially with the quality we have. But given that it wasn't coming off and there was like a chaotic nature of progression starting from the back, it kind of contributed to this more end-to-end atmosphere, inability to hold possession. And I just got the feeling like really early on, it was like, if we, it would be nice if like, okay, we pass to the winger and instead of just immediately going at the fullback, 
turn, play it back, go to the far side. I mean, things we've talked about over and over again with this team and just try to put together like a minute or two where you're able to set yourself, figure out what's going on and then progress yourself off the pitch and then pin Alama back there. Like that was, that was the other thing, right? Even in moments, like we would have some, some good spells in possession. We'll talk about how it led to some of our best chances in the first half, but there was never a sense that we were actually pinning them back, right? A lot of it was like happening at the halfway line. And that was probably the biggest issue with their performance on the night. And the thing that allowed or gave this like kind of sensation that Alama were playing quite well and we weren't necessarily putting them in consistent danger. I had the same feeling. All of our dominant possession came around the midfield line and we were never really able to have that same kind of ball control in the final third. And a lot of the times we didn't even have second waves of attack. We had one wave of attack and then all of a sudden Alama were putting a cross in on the other side of the box. There was no real dominance in the final third. And then we struggled to stop the ball when they came the other way. As you'd expect, Alama playing a pretty direct, typical counter-attacking style, looking to hit in the space behind the fullbacks, make blindside runs in the channels, all of that good stuff. And they had some decent counter-attacking moments, right? If our backline weren't wasn't necessarily good on the ball, right? In addition to Claudia, Bob's was just started pumping it long as she can be prone to do, which didn't necessarily help help our ability to keep things on the ground and control it. Our backline did pretty well dealing with a lot of these counterattacks, but it was something that we had to even be put in those situations in the first place. It, they did end up creating like one very good chance in the first half was like a lofted half volley cross from the right-hand side. And it was a header that forced Gerard into a good save. Like she had to get down there. She had to save it. And Lucia was completely beat there. I was a little disappointed with Lucia's performance as well. We know she has quality on the ball, specifically carrying out of pressure. But it was like she was also getting trapped into this, into getting like baited into, into making these carrying actions and then not really knowing what to do with the ball when she when she got by a player. And she had a couple of misplaced passes when she had actually broken the first line of pressure. That was a little disappointing. So yeah, like it just wasn't very clean coming from the back. And the, and the back line was tested quite a bit, maybe a little more than you expect when we're playing an opponent like this. So credit to Alama for that. We did have some good spells and sequences though. And I think it's telling that in the first half, they all came from patient spells, lots of passing. When Zornoza, Maite, Teresa could interchange positions, drop off, pull wide. And this was like exposed kind of the main flaw with the way Alama were defending because yes, they were, they were so aggressive and it made it difficult to play. But because of their player-to-player orientation, there were moments where we could like pull their midfield line and just open up the middle of the pitch and play the vertical pass, often into Nahikari, who in the first, like I'd say 20, 25 minutes were her most active minutes of the match. And then like it, she started to disappear from there, but she had some decent receiving back to goal, making plays happen. And the, her best moment was like, what was it like 10th minute or something? We were able to pull a llama open kind of the way I'm talking about. Nice up back through motion and Naikari's played in behind and she has a one versus one with the keeper and she really should do better there, but that's been the story of her season. She doesn't take the chance. And then like 10 minutes later, something like that, it's not quite the same pattern, but Maite drops off, Zornoza pulls wide, 
again, we're able to pull Alama's midfield line apart. We're able to then fire it back into the center. I think Maite managed to like to hurry back into that position, connects with Naikari, and then because of that, and that we have that central presence, Alama's back line reacts, compacts. We play the wide pass to Lorena, and she strikes a really well-hit shot off the post. And those were like some of our best opportunities, open play opportunities of the game. And that was how they were coming. But like, aside from those two, I don't really know how many more spells there were like that. I mean, I don't know, Grant, am I missing anything? Well, we had one early chance in about the fourth minute where, where Muller plays it to Nightgari and she flicks it toward Maite. Maite heads it down back to Muller and Muller kind of pulls it wide. It was another one of those little interchange moments, but those were really the three open play chances throughout the first half for Real Madrid in this match. The good thing is that we scored on a set piece and Teresa Abellera got the assist to Tere obviously being the one who we signed to a contract till 2024 yesterday, which was excellent. There was an OS article about Jimenez that came out and to be fair, was just kind of stating facts, right? About how Real Madrid had yet to, renew a number of players and the big the big name was obviously Misa because her agent Arkaitz Koka came out and was like we're just waiting on Real Madrid right because we don't want to talk to any other club and so like that generated some some discussion obviously and the one thing Micah took a little bit, bit of flack for was she was like Ivana is the only one who's close to renewing and then like the next day Tere ends up renewing till 2024 but it, it just shows the club is working their way through the contracts and is picking the key players for the future. And obviously, one of those key players is quite clearly Tere. And I think on that free kick, we can see why. But I'll give that to you, Grant, because you're the resident Tere propagandist on the podcast. Man, I didn't even think a chance would come out of this free kick. This free kick was way closer to the halfway line than it was to the 18-yard box. And she just plays a really great lofted pass to Bobs, who's 1v1 at the back post. Not great coverage from Alama. And this was actually a pretty acrobatic header from Bobs when you take a replay and look at it. It's kind of this flicked header that's also lofted back across goal. It really came from nothing, this, this, uh, this free kick and this goal, because... Like I said, I didn't think that this was going to be a direct pass to head to goal type of situation, but it just shows that kind of individually individual quality. Like I said, Terry steps up, puts in a great ball, Bob's capitalizes on it, and just like that, although we haven't played well all match, we get a goal, and it was a deserved goal at this point. I think, you know, Teresa had that wonderful one-time through ball to Naikari that probably should have been a goal. There were a couple other chances where where we a little better finishing would have put us ahead, and we rightfully got ahead in the 30th minute with the free kick. Yeah, it, it wasn't a case where we were dominated, where we were necessarily performing to the level we want to, but we were a better side up until that point. Like, you just count up the chances, and we had created more at that point. We created the better chances. And we ended up finally putting one away. And there really wasn't much till the end of the half where Torrell made ended up making the change after halftime. And he brought on Atenea for Maite. 
which moved Muller to the right and Lorena into the number 10 position. And then obviously Ateneo was playing on the left. So I don't know if this is like an incredibly surprising substitute. One, it gives my pay best. And that might've just been a pre-planned thing. The other thing is, is as I was thinking, maybe Muller, since Muller wasn't taking advantage of her one versus ones on, on the left, I thought, okay, Atenea comes on and she'll do better there. I, she didn't really, but I think that was possibly part of the logic for the substitution. Either way, I was like largely fine with it. I think you could kind of tell at least early on in the second half, the pace of play wasn't exactly the same. Alama, I mean, they really went hard in that first half. So they had to just like pull it back a little bit. And um, I think probably like a sign of the double-edged nature of their approach kind of came in like the 55th, 56th minute where one of their players just comes flying in and collides with Sveva's knee to the head, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, this player being Mariela Coronel, who gets, ends up getting subbed off four or five minutes later for an injury. And it actually took, like, physios came on, like she was down on the pitch for a while. I hope she's okay. But obviously there are some kind of risks to, to the type of approach that was being taken. I think that was just kind of symbolic of like, okay, maybe it's coming back to bite them a little bit, right? Because they've, they've gassed themselves a bit. She goes flying in, injures herself. And they actually end up getting a second win later in the second half. So what I'm saying is not quite true, but for a bit, it looked like we've ridden the wave of all this intensity and pressure. And now is the chance for us to like assert some control of the game, except in my opinion, it didn't really happen. I don't know, Grant, how did you feel about like, I don't know, first 10, 20 minutes of that second half? I, I think the pace of the game definitely slowed down. It's bound to happen when you're going at that high of a tempo for 45 minutes and then you come in to another game and a lot of the time you're chasing the ball. I think, though, I, I had a question for you, Om, about this. We switched to this um, where there's less interchange between Maite, Teresa, and Zornosa, and we have kind of a more rigid double pivot with Teresa and Zornosa. I thought in those 20 minutes and maybe throughout the rest of the second half, Zornosa was much, much better than she was in the first half and I wonder if that was maybe a little bit of game state maybe a little bit of being more comfortable in a more rigid double pivot I, I don't know if you saw that if you had any thoughts on that I agree with you when you when you say it like and I go back to think about it Zornoza did have way more moments in the second half as to why that was the case I mean who knows I think it's an intriguing thing to think about whether the fluidity and the pace of how things were going in the first half was just like it, it wasn't suited for her. And then you just have a clearer structure in the second. Because when Mike is a 10, right, she's going to be coming all over the place. She's not a traditional 10 in the sense like she is a high usage creator attack, attacking type 10. She's one who will offer a lot between the lines, but is going to also be an auxiliary in the field dropping off. But we've seen a lot of that, right? Because Toril has been trying it and Zornoza has looked fine. I think what it was, was the pace of the game. Zornoza is not the greatest athlete. She doesn't cover ground the best. And you put her into a situation with a slower tempo, with her foot on the ball, and not necessarily so back and forth. I think she's going to come to the fore and she's going to look a lot better. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I was leaning toward as well. I just wonder maybe... 
going forward it's going to be something that i i look at when we have that double pivot and might day in front of them with a little more interchange i'm going to be focused on that a little more to see you know we've seen it work but i'm wondering you know where is it that we're getting the best out of zornosa and i think you're right that in a game that has a slower pace where we've got our foot on the ball a little bit more she's gonna step up and make a bigger difference so i thought the best player until obviously Esther came on in the second half was Lorena. So she had some sharp moments in the first half. Obviously her shot struck the post, but wasn't as involved because she's kind of a player that wants to come inside. We were building more down the left anyway. And it was more like bits and pieces. Whereas if she's playing as a number 10 and her thing is to investigate spaces between the line, which is if you isolate just to that aspect of the game, there's probably no one on the team that actually does it better than her. I thought like she provided like needed relief and quality between the lines. Like the, some of our better moments in possession came when Lorena was able to find the ball in, in those types of positions. Otherwise, like it started to get to a point where I, Gerard actually just started to like bomb balls up the pitch again, like straight from goal kick. She just pick it up and just, and launch it up field and, I wasn't that happy to see that. I mean, I kind of understood why we were doing it because I think we were starting to get a bit irritated that we weren't actually able to enter the final third that much, despite the slower pace, despite Alama's intensity dropping off a little bit. And I think we we're just trying to get it into Naikari more because by that point in the match, she had like really faded. I thought she had a sharp start to the first half, was making good runs, was getting on the ball, receiving vertical passes, but we weren't able to replicate what we were doing to open up the pitch for her to receive. And like, she just stopped getting on the ball as much and there weren't any chances for her. And so nothing really changed in terms of, if anything, we started creating less chances than we did in the first half, despite the first half being less controlled. So in the 76th minute, I think Toril going for the win here or, or going to increase our advantage in the match and secure the win brings on Olga and Esther for Lorena and Muller, respectively, in the 76th minute. And so this moves Athenea to the right, Olga goes to the left, and Esther plays into two up top with Naikari. Unfortunately, Olga flies into an aerial challenge and immediately injured and has to be taken off. And obviously that's not something we like to see, but it did provide an opportunity for Sara Martin to make her Real Madrid debut in the first time that she's been called up to the Real Madrid squad. Honestly, yeah, this is probably like the biggest storyline of the game outside the result. And I mean, what a moment for her. Like this is, this is part of the beauty of, of Real Madrid having a women's team is like, she just like achieved a life goal right there, a dream, a dream come true. And she is one of the more promising players from the B side, uh, a wide player who can play on either the left or the right, but I'm told is more of a right winger. The only thing is, like, I don't know if she really got involved in the match. Like, at, the, at that point, it was actually kind of tough. But I don't know if you had any notes on her. We don't need to force anything, right? If we didn't really have yeah. all that many notes on her. Uh, to be fair, I was doing this in class. So, I at the end of the game, I wasn't entirely locked in. So, I could have missed something. But from what I saw, she looked like she fit in. But that's all I could say. Yeah, she did not look out of place, but nothing necessarily special came from it. And it was only 15 minutes at a point in the game where things really started to get weird because 
that thing about the pace of the game slowing down, that just completely flipped. The last 10 minutes, all of a sudden, it was just all I'm not counterattacking. Like every 30 seconds, something coming against us in the back line. And they end up producing a corner kick that leads to a really dangerous chance. And it's like, what on earth is going on here? And this is why I wanted us to be able to put our front. Like, yeah, obviously there are offensive benefits that can come from that. But first and foremost, when you assert control, able to slow the game down, work your way up the pitch steadily. Yeah, I mean, it just by the nature of not giving them the ball, it reduces the opportunity they have to counter, but it improves your rest defense because everyone has more time to put themselves in more sensible positions, think about what's going to happen if, if, if they lose the ball, and be ready to counterpress or sink back into a defense, uh, a proper defensive shape. So we, we obviously never did that. And I think we kind of like almost paid for that in those final moments. And the thing that really surprised me is Toril subs on Rocio for Naikari. Claudia moves into midfield. So it's not like we went back five. And weirdly enough, Florentino has her best moment of the game where she like makes a run to the channel, put, pulls off a cross shot. Esther almost gets to it. What did you think of that substitution? Yeah, that one was that was that was strange for me. I never really expect Rocio to be coming on for Naikari unless we're like in the Champions League and putting in a five back to see out a result or something like that. You don't really expect to be subbing on a center back for a striker against a second tier side in the Copa de la Reina. It was interesting. I think it's always um, chaotic when <laughs> Claudia Florentino goes into midfield. She had some nice moments. She had some not-so-nice moments. Um, Rocio stepped in and was, was decent. And we, I guess we saw the result, right? Yeah, I don't know. Two more goals after, so directly, that's what, that's what that means. Right? This is awfully <laughs> conservative for the opponent we're facing, and I don't think necessarily address any problem within the game, but it correlated with two goals that came afterwards. Although I think that really was just Esther coming on. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> and when she, it's just amazing to me how quickly she can get involved in things. Like you never don't notice her when she's on the pitch. So that, that cross shot I mentioned from Florentino, that Esther almost gets onto that. And then in the 90th minute, and this is kind of what you were talking about with Zornoza Grant, she saunters up the pitch and is able to feed a neat little ball into Esther, and she completely botches that shot, but not to worry. What the heck was that? (laughs) I was like, of all the players to get in that position, that's who you want. And she just shanked the hell out of that thing. Right, but not to worry, because Esther, like, not having confidence is like just the thing that doesn't happen to her. It like she's got the Ted Lasso be a goldfish. That thing was gone, and 15 seconds later, she had the ball in the back of the net. Right? Yeah. For almost 15 seconds later, 93rd minute corner kick, and she just she just beats her mark one versus one. Out muscles faster, wants it more, gets their header into the back of the net. Boom, two nil over. Except it's not over because Esther wants another goal making a movement in the box, gets fouled quite clearly. Referee points to the spot with only two minutes of, of injury time remaining. And Zornoza, I guess, her reward 
for a good second half when she calmly slots away the penalty and all of a sudden a 3-0, right? Like total domination. <laughs> I mean, it- I, I was so surprised that Zornoza took that. After Esther just scored and then Esther won it, I thought for sure that she was going to step up and take it. Yeah, I, I too thought so, but I guess Zornoza kind of deserved that. She was playing quite well and she puts it away and that's 3-0. But I think it's pretty clear that Esther is the player that changed the game. And I'm sorry, Naikari fans, but I <laughs> I think for now we close the debate and we'll revisit it at the end of the season or something, right? Like it's just not been Naikari's season. And I think for who Real Madrid are right now, which is a side that just cannot quite consistently feed their center forward in the greatest areas cannot necessarily destabilize defenses on the ball the best and feed like just just kind of rely on neat movement in a center forward right like if we were in the final third all the time and constantly peppering the box then Nike or being able to like pull the midfield line apart, play through balls and get Naikari running behind, which is what we saw in one moment in that first half, then Naikari is your striker, right? Because she's the one who is not necessarily going to like monopolize possession. She will help up with link up a little bit, but she's not going to overdo it. So if you're already in those positions, Naikari is not going to step on people's toes. She's just going to be like, okay, where can I position myself? What are the runs I can make so I can convert goals? And she. And this is like her speaking, like in that really like now famous interview she did with El Patio where she's like, Raul is my idol and stuff. Like the thing she took away from him was like, I want to be there to like score the ugly goals. I want to score the rebounds and, and all those clever little things. But she can only do that if we're like consistently making really dangerous box entries. For the side we are now where we're not doing it at like a particularly consistent rate, match to match, it can vary wildly. We just need a center forward who can just do something out of nothing. And that is the exact description of Esther, right? She's more aggressive. She has much better physical tools than Naikari. She drops to the ball all the time, whether or not it's always the optimal moment. And I think people get too wrapped up into that, right? Like there is a discussion to be had about that, but ultimately you need to step back and be like, what's the net impact happening here? And for the side we are right now, we just need someone to manufacture something and just somehow fight for a ball, get to it, be quicker, be stronger. That's Esther, right? And that's why her goal total and her minutes are way more than Naikari. I think that's just the reality right now. Obviously, there are other parts to it as well. It's not like we're seeing Naikari play at her top level. She's off form. I'm pretty sure she's underperforming her XG, even though we don't have those numbers. But I think you could just count up the missed chances and, and it, it becomes quite easy to assess. But yeah, I mean, I, I think more than halfway into this season now. I, I think the debate is pretty clear. Esther is the number one striker. And if you were to really think about it, probably our most impactful player of the season. And I think this I game was just, was just say that. yeah, it was just a little example of that. We went through that pretty quickly. I, I, I don't think this was a match that needed a ton of deep tactical analysis, but is there any other stuff you want to talk uh, to touch on any other player performances? Yeah. Like, like you said earlier, I thought Lucia had a, rough first half i thought she she grew into the game in the second half um i'll always take this opportunity to talk about Tere and her set piece service two assists from set pieces today she could have had a third tonight Kari um in open play it was a really really good ball i thought she along with lorena and 
Esther were probably three of the more impactful players on the day. Other than that, I, I don't think there was that much good at coming individually or as a team coming out of this game. Like you said, Zornoza had a pretty good second half performance. But this was a good reminder, a good warm-up game. Glad that we won it in advance to the quarterfinals. But like we need to continue to win every game in the league. And if we perform like that against Athletic Club on Saturday, I believe, we're not going to win. We need to be better. Hopefully we shook off the rust a bit and we'll, we'll step up in the next match. Athletic Club, by the way, lost to Sevilla in the that was the other round of 16 match that happened on the same day. But that is no reason to underestimate them. I don't know what happened in that game. I was told that Athletic created a bunch of chances. Sevilla's goalkeeper was amazing. Who knows? All I know is when it comes to league play, Athletic Bilbao have probably been the most underrated side. Right. For a lot of focus on Real Sociedad for a lot of reasons. One, they deserve it. Natalia Arroyo is doing a really good job. When you have players like Amayur and Narea shining, obviously the attention is going to be on them, especially the position they were in at the table the first half of the season and the record that they had. But Athletic Bilbao have quietly been very, very impressive and arguably the most impressive collective unit under Iraya Ituregi. And that's a side that is going to be real tough for us to face. Saturday, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. I think it's like Saturday at 11. It's not a bad... What what a kickoff time, let me tell you. (laughs) Not a horrible time, but I'm looking forward to that because I think it's going to be a high-quality game. Athletic Bilbao really are a quality side, and we have to come in and play very well if we want to take all three points. So that's what we all have to look forward to. That's when we'll be back next for our podcast. Just one final thing in terms of the game. I, I always really like how much these lower division sides appreciate the moment whenever they play Real Madrid, whether the men's or women's team. It's the same. Like it's an entire event for the city, the town, for the players. Like, regardless of the result, they leave with like these massive smiles on their faces. Like it really means a lot to them to be in that moment. Right? Like they're going to tell their kids about this. Like we played Real Madrid. I played versus my Rose. And one of those players I think was asking for Misa's autograph after the game. And so she's going to be like, look, I got, I got the autograph from her. Like Misa, who's basically becoming a star now, I guess she was in that Real Madrid Amazon documentary. I think she's 15 seconds <laughs> for 15 seconds, but she was there. I think she part of like the thing with, these discussions for a contract taking a long time and she can probably depend more money than almost anyone else on that squad because she is kind of becoming a little bit of a star. But yeah, I, I digress. It's really cool to see these types of moments and, and it just means a little more to them. It's, it, we talk about football always being about the results and as Real Madrid fans, that's what we care about. But from a broader perspective, it's not necessarily always about that. And I think this is an example. So that was a really nice moment. In terms of looking forward, Athletic Bilbao game. Also, you guys have probably heard of it by now, but Abdullah Abdullah and I have interviewed Caroline Muller Hansen, and that will be coming out soonish. Like, we're trying mid March. We'll see when that's going to happen exactly. Keep your eyes out for that. And Ren and I are planning something. I'm not going to say anything more because it hasn't materialized. We might have a little surprise might have a little surprise that we think you enjoy fingers crossed but the signs look good i think it's fair to say it right so i think so 
I think this will it'll probably be the most listened to podcast we have if we're able to secure it. So exciting stuff in the future, guys. Not just Real Madrid football, not just the intense schedule ahead, but exciting stuff that we're doing. So until then, I guess that's goodbye. I guess that's Ala Madrid. Ala Madrid.